thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, good morning. I have to tell you, it is going to be nice to go back to the sun. No, it's really nice to be with you. I, I really hold this dear, and it is an honor to be standing in this space and being able to share a little bit from God's Word. Uh, that theme, Jesus is awesome, is what we jumped into last week and will continue for the next two weeks. And it's, it's a real sort of walk through all that Paul is talking about in the book of Colossians. It is his letter to the church in a city called Colossae. And it's, it's an interesting season that Paul is writing into at the time, but it is incredibly relevant for today as well. The time he was writing into, was, there was a lot of sort of mystical teaching and, and what they called Gnosticism, which was secret knowledge that you could sort of add to your knowledge of Jesus and you would have this deeper, richer relationship with God. And Paul sort of just takes the whole thing apart. That's what we jumped into last week. We began the morning, if you weren't here, with the theme song from the Lego movie, and you can all sing it if you'd like to, you know, that everything is awesome, and we quickly realized that's not true. Not everything is awesome. Uh, it's this word that we so <laughs> throw around that it, you know, we talk about everything as if it really is awesome, but then what does it mean when we come to the point that we say, no, Jesus is awesome? And so we looked at this definition, and we're going to bring it up here. Awesome is to inspire awe. Awe is an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred or by the sublime. Awe is the rapt attention and deep emotion that's caused by the sight of something that is truly extraordinary. And most things that we refer to as awesome are not particularly truly awe-inspiring. And so we chose to remove the casual use of that word from our language, didn't we? Now, it's interesting. I hope that, if anything, you catch yourself in moments where you're like, awesome. Oh, is it really? Like, let's compare that to Jesus, who is truly awesome. And the more you discover of Christ, the richer that word becomes in the light of his person. So what we discovered last week in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, is this. And I am going to be mainly reading out of my New Living Translation. Uh, you can find that online. If you want to read along in New Living, you can open your Bible app. Or you can read along in the one that is in the seat back in front of you. And it'll be worded a little bit differently, but essentially the same. But I'm going to read from the New Living. And it says this, Jesus Christ is the visible image 
of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the fullness of God revealed. That's awesome. You want to know what Jesus is, what, what God is like? You've got to get to know Jesus. He is the full revelation. And what that told us, and we looked at it last week, is that God wants us to discover him, to see him, to know him, and to have a relationship with him. God desires that. He so revealed himself in Christ. He stripped away this sort of blurred image and he, Jesus steps onto the scene and says, hey, you want to know what God's like? Then follow me. Get to know me. Allow me to dwell in you. And so conform you to God's purpose. And this is, this, it's a beautiful invitation, but what is our part in it? And this is what we wrapped up last week with. There's four things really that become our part in it. We've got to believe it. You've got to take hold of the truth that Jesus is the fullness of God revealed. Then you've got to stand on it. You've got to stand your ground on that. Anchor yourself to it was the third one. Anchor yourself. Buckle down on it. And fourthly, the natural overflow of all that, and Paul talks about the end of chapter one, is that our lives become a declaration of it. And that's it. So first question, have you believed it? Have you come to the point that you've assessed it and gone, you know what, I am going to choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the total revelation of God, that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt and that is the total revelation and therefore everything I need. That was last week. And I know some of you who are here last week are probably thinking, for goodness sake, that took you 40 minutes last week and it took you four this week. (laughs) Should have just skipped last week and come this week. There's a little more to it, but it was a great discovery. And I am really grateful to Terry and the team Uh, that took my harebrained idea of that shadow screen that was just this random thought I had and I threw it out and they're like, is it possible to do this? And trying to coordinate it from the other side of the world and and I arrive and they have not just built this sort of shadow screen, they have like constructed this big two by four frame and in between services rebuilt the whole thing. I tell you what, you have a team of people here that serve the kingdom in such beautiful, practical ways. And as someone who gets to you know, come and, and speak, it's, it's so easy to take for granted the so many people that, uh, that make this come to life together. And I don't wanna take them for granted, so to all of you, I'm really, really grateful. But this week, as we jump into it, I want to continue just with the end of chapter 1. Because in verse 27, if you have a look at it here, it says this, For God wants you to know that the riches and glory of Christ 
are for you Gentiles too. Now, if you understand what that means, Paul is a, is a Jew speaking into the non-Jewish world or the Gentile world, just comes out with this breakout news. Hey, this is for everyone. There's no longer any division. He says this in other places. There's no longer any of these status lines in culture. There's no longer, you know, superiority of man or woman or slave or free or Jew or Gentile or, you know, he just, he just says, hey, look, we're, we're all in this together. And so Paul's encouragement, this, this good news is for everyone and this is the secret. And usually someone goes, hey, you want to know a secret? And everyone leans in, right? So lean in. Because Paul goes, hey, and this is the secret. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Man, and this gives you the assurance of sharing in his glory. Another version says this, it is Christ in you which is the hope of glory. The New Living says it is Christ living in you that is the assurance of sharing his glory. Do you, sitting here in this space this morning, have the assurance that you are going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ? that you have a place prepared for you in his kingdom because he says this, I have gone ahead of you to prepare a place that where I am you might also be. The secret is Jesus. That's awesome. This is the sort of thing that we should open our mouth like, are you serious? Yes, it's that good. The fullness of God revealed in Christ dwells in us and gives us the assurance of sharing in his glory. And I love the other version that says Christ in us, the hope of glory. The capital the is like it is a definitive statement. It's not a hope of glory. It's not like there are all these various things that people would love to sell us on. It's not. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. So you've got the gift. Paul says, man, it's a gift in Christ. We've got the assurance. Now live it. Get going. Paul goes on to say that just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. Walk it out. Live it out. It's not this secret to be hidden away. It was this declaration that then we take on. We become partakers in Christ and we begin to walk it out. If you think about that, that statement, you walk it out. Every step of our everyday life should be the walking out of Christ in us. That all around us. Christ is seen. Christ is discovered. Christ is encountered. Why? Because he dwells in you and me. That's beautiful. That is wonderful. And it is powerful news when we get it. So in the same freedom that you received Christ, now walk in it. There's nothing to be added to it. 
You're not waiting for something extra, some additional revelation, something new that is going to suddenly launch you into action. No. We choose it. Paul says, walk in it. You know, it's not something that we received as a free gift and then suddenly find we we have to earn it. Or it wasn't this gift to you that then three months later you receive in the mail some sort of deferred payment plan. That'd be a bummer. Man, wouldn't it? Like this Christmas, you're like, yes, Christmas, I love gifts. And you get these gifts, and then three months later, you get this thing in the mail that says, now you've got to start paying for it. But that's often how we treat this good news of the gift of Christ. And this is why Paul writes it into the Colossians. He writes it to the Galatians. He's like, come on. What is this? We started by grace. We started in the gift. And now all of a sudden we're trying to prove ourselves. He says, you got you to stop it. It's a gift. But it's not just for our own benefit. Paul says in, in Colossians 2 verses 2 and 3. And if you've got it there, have a look. He says, I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And I want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. What's Paul saying? This message at work in us as we walk it out should bring unity, should bring encouragement, and should stir up this confidence in us that it's Christ. I love that statement that is made in those announcements. We are better together. Man, we come in unity, we encourage one another, and we stir up this gift, this confidence that we have that it's Christ at work in us. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is why Paul used to get so upset with Gnosticism and all these other, you know, Jewish groups that would, that would follow the expansion of the gospel and then try to impose additional ritual or additional knowledge that people had to attain. Because people were disempowered when they believed this idea like, oh man, I'm missing out on something. Man, I'm, I'm missing it so I don't really get Jesus because I haven't got this additional stuff. And Paul is going, no. In him lie how many? All. If you're reading the little church Bible there or your own Bible, get a pen and underline all. Go on. (laughs) Scratch it into your screen. No, don't do that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You have complete access in Christ to everything that you need for life and for godliness, as Peter says. Nothing else. And Paul, though, gives us these three encouragements or warnings 
because he, he is very clear that even though this is a fact, in Christ you have everything you need. In Christ you have all knowledge and wisdom. In Christ you have total assurance of your, and confidence in the glory of God that will be revealed in us. He says, watch out. Because there are those who want to deceive you and there are those who want to take this message and manipulate it and use it for their own benefit. And Paul says, watch out. In fact, his first warning in in chapter two is found in verse four. Have a look at it here. I am telling you this. Like what Paul says, I'm laying this bare. I am making this as plain as I possibly can so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. What does that tell you? There are people who are taking this knowledge and additional knowledge and crafting these mysterious little things, these arguments to deceive us, to woo us away from the simple truth of being, of being anchored on and steadfast in Christ, to unsettle that, to somehow get you to think that, man, maybe Jesus isn't quite enough or maybe I don't have enough revelation of Jesus or maybe I need a little something else. Paul says, do not be deceived by those people who would come with well-crafted arguments. Jesus is enough. Question is, do you believe it? Have you been somewhere deceived that you need something a little more than Paul warns about all sorts of human rules and regulations, and and he doesn't just do it in the Colossians. This was a fairly common thing in the early church, and sadly to say, it's pretty common today. People run to one end of the earth to the other looking for the new thing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. He has always been enough. He will always be enough. We don't need to add all these other things to the Galatians. He says to them, hey, wait a minute. Who bewitched you? Who came in? Which charlatan came in and deceived you and sold you some other story that you've just bought into hook, line, and sinker? Who deceived you? So Paul writes to the Colossians and goes, man, don't be deceived. Not by any charlatan, not by the old bait and switch where you present one thing and all of a sudden, whoop, there's the new thing. You're like, whoa, how did that happen? Before we know it, we're bought into these things. This is the incredible thing. If you ever watch street magicians, I have actually a really good friend whose name is Andino. And he is openly an illusionist. He's a believer, but my goodness, he has quick hands, and I never let him near my wallet. (laughs) But he does that stuff they call up-close magic, where they're doing cards, and they're making things appear and disappear, and I'm always looking at his hands going, how the heck did you do that? 
I, I, I have no idea. And there's something incredibly tantalizing about this sort of bait and switch thing. And, and I like to believe that Andino has some sort of special power. But he assures me he doesn't. My eyes and brain are just not as quick as his hands. Now, I don't know if you, some of you would have been uh, alive when this happened, some of you wouldn't, but there was a television show called Breaking the Magician's Code. And it, it was put on by Fox and it was a TV series where they convinced this magician who would wear a mask and he would do the magical trick and then he would reveal the secrets of it. And people were ticked off. <laughs> because there's like this code amongst magicians that you don't give away the secrets because once people know the secrets, it's no longer so captivating, is it? And so this fella, and he revealed himself at the end of this series, it went on for a, a couple of seasons, and his name was Val Valentino. And people filed, once he revealed who he was, people filed lawsuits against him, People went after the television station because there were magicians who had funded their whole life by these illusions. And, and one couple uh, from Lynchburg, Virginia, came out and they filed this, this huge lawsuit because each of these illusions that they had purchased cost them upwards of $50,000 each. And all of a sudden, this person made it worthless. And this other guy that had developed these illusions and these ways of carrying it out that made it simple for, you know, your street magician to do, he had a, a patent on like 10 of these things and he went in for a, a $500,000 lawsuit because of income that was lost. Paul kind of steps onto the scene here and he just does way better than Val Valentino. Paul just goes, hey, all the illusions, all the illusions of how to attain righteousness, all the illusions of all this secret knowledge and everything else that, that you can get, that you can garner, that will improve your life, that will make you more influential, more powerful, more holy, more spiritual. Paul just comes in and goes, I'll tell you the secret of everything. Jesus. It's Christ. There's no more to it. Put your money away. Put your applause away for all of these charlatans and hoaxers. It's over. It's only Jesus. Jesus is awesome. And it's about time we actually realized it and reveled in it and lived in it and walked in it. It's powerful. And there are plenty of people that want to present some sort of new mystery, some tantalizing morsel that will divert us from the simple truth of Jesus. People love hunting out manifestations and magical mysteries of the presence of God. 
And if they're not present, then you're not really in the presence. Baloney. There are other much stronger words that are not applicable right here. Rubbish. Man, Christ, how great was that what Nathan said? It's the truth. Wherever two or three of us gather together, the fullness of Christ is in our midst. Let me, let me take apart a little bit of mystery. We don't, by our praise and worship, sort of conjure the presence of God. We don't. Don't be mistaken with some mysterious idea that when we get praise and worship up to another level, God's kind of like, oh, come on, a little more, a little more, a little more. You're nearly there. All right, now I'm in. No. Man, praise and worship is this expression of the revelation, the full revelation of Christ in us, and it's this response in me that goes, yes, you're awesome. I know some of you think, man, this is like a mic drop moment. He just gets to get on a plane this afternoon and go home. No, I want you to like get excited about this. And this really is, is beautifully shaping to the community of believers. There's always someone that's trying to convince you to trade the treasure of Jesus for the trinkets of this world. What we have in Christ is the treasure of the ages and never trade it for some trinket it's Jesus plus nothing no hocus pocus no Jesus plus healers with microphones in their ears Jesus doesn't need sideshow alley no Jesus plus weeping idols or sacred relics or shiny stones or angel feathers or Jesus plus the new miracles no Jesus is sufficient. I say it again, Jesus is sufficient. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And don't get suckered by that, hey, come over here, Jesus is being revealed over here. Hey, you should go, I don't need your new revelation. I have the fullness of Christ within me, the confidence of my participation in his glory right here in me. I am declared righteous by his righteousness. That's powerful. Like it's beautiful and it's awesome. I better hurry. The second point that Paul makes here in Colossians, you'll find it in verse eight. Have a look at it. Don't let anyone capture you or don't let anyone take you captive with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. 
Man, there is all this high-sounding, you know, impressive thinking, self-empowering, motivating stuff that Paul just goes, nonsense. (laughs) Don't you love it? Nonsense. Paul strips away this whole idea of self-improvement and other humanistic nonsense. And it's, it's probably hard to grab a hold of because we like stuff that feels self-empowering. We like the idea of, you know, God's kingdom coming. Yes, we're called co-laborers, but it's only because he invites us to participate. We're not invited because Jesus is like, oh, I so hope I can get Tim on board. He will really take this to a whole new level that I could not have done on my own. I'd have to be an idiot, and so would you. This is the incredible thing, is people want to take us captive. That There's something about you that is pretty awesome too. Jesus, awesome, but you, come on, you're pretty awesome too. Paul just goes, stop it. There are whole movements that are built on it, empires built on it. Financial moguls built on this idea of self-empowerment, that you can do it. I found a couple. You might not be able to read this one, but this is called the Self-Empowerment Pledge. Seven simple promises that will change your life. I'm going to read some of them to you. Monday's promise. I will take complete responsibility for my health my happiness, my success, my life, and I will not blame others for my problems and predicaments. If that wasn't enough for your week, Tuesday you can get up. (laughs) New day, new idea. I will not allow low self-esteem, self-limiting beliefs, or the negativity of others to prevent me from achieving my authentic goals and from becoming the person I am meant to be. Wednesday, I will do the things I'm afraid to do, but which I know should be done. Sometimes this will mean asking for help to do that which I cannot do myself. Thursday, I will earn the help I need in advance by helping other people now and repay the help I received by serving others later. Friday, I will face rejection, failure, with courage, awareness, perseverance. Saturday, though I might not understand why adversity happens, by my conscious choice, I will find strength, compassion, and grace through trial. Is there any issue with this? I. I will, I am, I can, I'm enough. Rubbish. But if that one's not enough, I found this other one. This is called the Dare to Dream Pledge. In fact, there are instructions at the bottom of this one that says, place on your mirror, repeat to yourself daily or in the morning and at night, say them with energy and enthusiasm, 
Point to yourself as you say them. Remind yourself throughout the day and tell someone else how great you are. And this is how it goes. I am. That's a problem to start with, but let's go a little further. I am unique. I am one of a kind. I am beautiful or handsome. I am wonderfully made. I am special. I am smart. I am highly intelligent. I am a kind person. I am a loving person. I am able to overcome every challenge. I am my, I am my God's masterpiece. There is some truth in this. I am a born leader. I am good enough. I am only strong. I would pause right there, handbrake moment, and say, really? Because I actually love the fact that Christ's strength is revealed in my weaknesses, but if I have no weaknesses, I have no room nor no need of Christ. He goes on, I am dedicated, committed, and focused. I will. I will respect my body, I'll respect my mind, I'll respect myself, and in doing so, I will respect others. I will believe in myself, I will never give up. I will only succeed. I will only win. Wouldn't it be a great world if everyone was just winners? <laughs> I will because I believe in myself. I will not. I will not be controlled by what others think of me. I will not be defined by my past mistakes. I will not make excuses. I will not settle to be average. And so now... The world is waiting for me, and I am ready for the world. My life is full of hope. My life is full of dreams. How exciting. And this is the, this is the thing that something about that feels like so good but it is so empty and so wrong. And this is what Paul goes, he goes, man, all of this high-sounding, intellectual, humanistic nonsense, the fullness of God in Christ is resident within you within me, and this is the confidence that we have, that in Christ we have all wisdom and all knowledge. Do not be taken captive by vain imaginations. It feels warm and fuzzy, but for goodness sake, we gotta be careful because it's so popular in our world. Jesus didn't come to bring us life so that we could just live for ourselves. Jesus is not some self-help program. In fact, what Paul says is at one time we were dead in our sins. What does that look like? Well, kind of like this. This is very 
unempowering. Like, I imagine if there's ever a state of weakness and inability, it's this. <laughs> we were dead, powerless to do anything. And then, by the grace of God, when we choose to believe the fullness of Christ enters us and we are made alive. That is pretty awesome. But why do we think that suddenly when I was once dead in my sin and I was made alive in Christ, why all of a sudden do I think that I can do something with that old corpse person and it can perform the righteousness I need? It's the foolishness that Paul goes after. We are utterly hopeless apart from God's work to save us. And because as you see, all a dead person can do well is be dead. Paul says, man, my own righteousness outside of Christ, it's worthless. Christ in me creates a righteousness that is pleasing to God. As I walk in Christ, I will walk in righteousness according to his work within me. But that is not what justifies me. That is what declares his grace at work in me. And when we realize that, we will come to this same place that Paul comes to when he writes to his friends in Philippi in the letter of the Philippians. He says this, I now consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them, all my best efforts, rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, for I have no righteousness of my own that comes from obedience and performance, but that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He goes on in verse 10 of chapter three, and he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings that somehow I might become like him and attain to the resurrection of the dead. It's out of that transformed heart and only that that we can in turn say, Jesus, you are Lord and you are awesome. It's an amazing place to come to. But the third one, and I'll move quite quickly, is Paul also says this, and now also do not let anyone condemn you, verse 16. Listen to these words. Because people will like to make us think that, you know, they're part of the in crowd and, and I'm not, I don't fit in. Paul says this, don't let anyone condemn you, not for what you eat or your drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. It's not by doing all the stuff that we enter into the fullness of Christ. We can participate in things 
and, and see revelations of Jesus, but it should always lead us back to Jesus. There is no more righteousness or positioning or in-crowding by doing or participating. There is no extension to righteousness that has been given us in Christ, nothing. Those things become choice. And don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels. Other versions say worship with angels. Don't let anyone condemn you insisting that you've got to do all these things or you've got to join with angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for it is he, Christ, who holds the whole body together with its joints, ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Do not be condemned. Don't feel that you don't measure up, can't measure up, don't do these certain things. You have the fullness in Christ. Rules and regulations will not make you moral and rules and regulations will not make you acceptable to God. As much as a prenuptial agreement will give you an intimate, loving marriage, so rules and regulations will give you relationship with God. It goes the other way around. If you have a loving and gracious and partner-honoring marriage, you will grow in the fullness of everything that marriage was designed for. You won't sin against each other. You won't, you know, you'll build one another up. And in the same way you enter into relationship with Christ, then as you desire to walk in the fullness of that, we have a life that produces fruit in keeping with righteousness, not the other way around. Jesus has given us everything we need. So don't be condemned because you don't do or don't abide by or don't celebrate. Don't be condemned by the latest vision of rapture or ecstasy. Don't be ruled by the need to be justified by being a part of the latest fad or journeying from one side of this earth to the other to see the latest wonder, to attend the latest feast or ceremony. Don't feel condemned. And don't get lost in these things. People love to make others feel like there's an in crowd and you're not part of it and we're the insiders and you're the outsiders or the knowledgeable elite, or they'll make you feel less because you don't get it, or you don't see it, or you don't experience it. This is what Paul is stripping away here. He's like, it's all a charade. Stop. Paul warns us, you've been set free. You've been liberated from these false systems to the reality of Jesus and his authority seated at the right hand of God. Man, there are still people today chasing things all over the face of this planet, new experiences, new revelations, new raptures of ecstasy, new presences, new demonstrations, new manifestations. Paul says this, be really careful. Be really careful. Don't be deceived. Don't be taken captivated by, don't be taken captive by or captivated by. Don't be condemned. Find yourself standing on, anchored in 
the fullness of Jesus. It's why Christianity honestly is offensive to many people. Because Jesus said this in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. So don't be deceived. Don't be taken captive by vain imagination, worldly wisdom. Don't walk in condemnation. Be found fully in Jesus, in unity, encouraged, and in total confidence in Christ. Have you believed? Have you chosen to accept the grace of God in his son Jesus, his total forgiveness for all your past, for any sin you've ever committed, to be completely liberated and given the promise of eternal life, the confident hope of glory? You choose it by confessing that, man, we've fallen short, we failed. And Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you, and so I'm asking you, would you forgive me? Would you resurrect me from my dead state? Would you give me that confidence? We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.